Numbers, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 21. And when King Arad, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities, and he called the name of the place Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way, and the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Interesting. They just said there was no bread, but they had bread. They just didn't like the kind of bread they had. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Friends, we need to repent. Oh, how we need to repent. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people the people that were just bad-mouthing him, the people who were just running him down, the people who were just trash-talking him. He prayed for them. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. See, they didn't say they'd sinned until things started going bad. People started dying. That's really when push comes to shove, isn't it? When things go south. We got a problem. Oh, it's a bad thing. We've got snakes among us. We don't like this. Yeah, when it gets hot enough, you say we've sinned. Trouble will make all of us honest, won't it? Trouble will make all of us stop lying when trouble comes. The Bible goes on. It says, For we have spoken against the Lord, and we have spoken against you, Moses. We've spoken against God. Folks, look, they spoke against God, and they spoke against the leadership. Those go hand in hand. It always does. Well, now we're laid out here. Now we're bit. Now we're swelling up. Now we're dying. We were talking bad about you, but pray for us. We were keeping you up at night with your stomach all tied up in knots, but pray for us. Pray to the Lord that He'll take these serpents away from the people. And the Bible says, and Moses prayed for them. We don't want to live with these snakes. Mm-mm. These snakes are biting us. These snakes are killing us. We've got snakes in our marriages. We've got snakes in our finances. We've got snakes all over the place. And we don't want to live with them anymore. We've sinned. Pray for us. And He did. Look at verse 8. The Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. Um, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Let me get this straight. Let me read that again. That everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. 
Now, friends, when I read this passage, I am shocked. I am shocked that how could these people be angry at God? They were by the Red Sea, the very Red Sea that God had just delivered them through. It's not just the fact they were doubting God. I think it's amazing that it's the fact that the place that they were doubting God was the place that they'd just seen a great miracle. 600 chariots, the chosen chariots of Pharaoh, drowned in this sea. The enemy utterly destroyed. And they're still by the Red Sea, and now they're doubting God. That's amazing to me. These are the same people that were just praising God a few minutes before at the Red Sea. While the Egyptian army was being drowned, Miriam was leading the women in praising God. And now they're doubting Him. God had shown Himself strong in their lives. How do you go from praising God for working in your life to murmuring and complaining and having a bitter spirit? The Bible is clear. It says in those early verses that they were discouraged because of the way He brought them. The way He brought them. It's a tough road, folks. It's a tough road. The way was rugged. The prosperity preachers get this all wrong. See, they preach to you that, they, 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 that the way for Christians is going to be easy. It's going to be comfortable. You're going to have health and wealth. And they're going to, there's going to, they're going to be material blessings. That if, if your faith is just strong enough, you'll never have to sweat. I wish that were true. I wish I never had to sweat. I walked in here to the chapel this morning and felt heat coming out of these registers. And Brother Glenn saw me see that, and he came up here and said, it's too hot up here. And I said, yes, sir, it is. Cool it down. <laughs> because I'm already going to sweat. Okay, I wish I didn't have to sweat. But this life is a life of sweat. The way is a hard way. And it's tough. And, and this, this name-it-and-claim-it crowd and this blab-it-and-grab-it crowd tell you to spin around three times and stand on one foot and you'll get the new car. Well, what they won't tell you about the new car is it comes with a payment book. They don't want you to know that. But they want the car, not the payment. This is a hard way. And the people of Israel were discouraged because of the way. I have played for hundreds of weddings since my ministry began over 40 years ago. And now we're going to have another wedding. Uh, Grace, where's Grace? Uh, right there. And, and, and uh, Julian. Okay, this is going to be a wonderful thing. But let me tell you two something. After the last bit of rice is thrown, there's the way. And you better be ready for it. You better be ready for it. Because we don't have a real good track record in our circles now. It used to be you could say that, you know, Christian people, they stayed married and the unsaved did not. That's not so anymore because of the way, the way. I mean, it's wonderful to have weddings, the love and two families coming together and the devotion. Boy, everybody's excited, but then there's the way. Mrs. Ream has had to deal with it. Mrs. Ream's watching today. She watches chapel every day, primarily to see if I don't fall asleep. Uh, I really don't have a problem with, falling, with staying awake in chapel here. Chapels here are exciting. Chapel's here every day. This book is opened and preached. I have no problem staying awake in chapel. Now, what I have a problem doing is not laughing when Brother Hanky leans over and says something to me because he's not on the camera, but I am. <laughs> and he knows it. And he knows it. 
And so he'll lean over and he'll do this thing, and he's not even seen on the camera. I've gone back and looked at this footage, and he's not seen on the camera, but I am, and I'm going, you know. That's my problem, not sleeping in chapel. But Mrs. Ream has lived with me now for 30, we're in our 39th year of marriage. And many is the time when Mrs. Ream and I have endured things along the way. There was a time, when, Brother Ashley, when I felt that God was having me every summer take a mission team somewhere. And I would take young people, high school and college age young people, and we went to Brazil twice. We went to the south of Brazil, in the Sao Paulo area, and Porto Alegre, and then we, we spent a month, another trip, on the Amazon. Slept in an actual bed three days in that month. The rest of it was in hammocks. Call them hedgies, hedgies down there. We slept in hammocks. And I would come back, I would come to the house and I'd tell Mrs. Ream, I'd say, I think God is leading us to go to Brazil in June this year. And she'd say, okay. She'd make it happen. I can't make it happen. I, I, I am very bad at those kinds of details. She'd make it happen. It was the way. It was the way. And uh, 40 years of marriage. But you know what? Young people, you don't get to choose the way. I don't get to choose the way. That's what I hate about it. If I could just choose the way, I'd be okay. I don't get to pick the way he takes me. I don't get to pick the people he lets hurt me along the way. I don't get to pick the places he takes me through along the way. I don't get to pick my own cross. The scripture says, take up your cross and follow me. But I don't get to pick what that cross is. I don't like that one. Give me this one over here. It's a little easier. I don't get to pick it. God, why do I have to go this way? This way. I need to get that figured out. I don't have very long to live now. You know, I don't think, I doubt I'll make it to Doc's age. Doc Scoville, he's 88 now, still going strong. I don't think I'll probably be walking when I'm 88, much less teaching music anymore. But I, one, one thing is pretty sure, unless God works a great miracle, I'm not going to see as many years ahead of me as I've had behind me. So I need to get this figured out, young people. And you aren't guaranteed of having many years in front of you either. You may. I pray you do if the Lord tarries His coming. I pray you have a good life. But we're not guaranteed of that, which means we need to get going, and we, I don't want to stay in the remedial class of the kingdom of God all the rest of my days. I want to move on. And I don't come to chapel here to play religious games with you. I never have gone to chapel ever that way. Now, he mentioned who's on first. I like to do things like that. And by the way, I just have to say, Seth is a great straight man, isn't he? He's a great straight man. I did my dead level best to crack him up and break him up, and I couldn't do it. He just kept, that, he just kept right on. And, uh, and, and I like doing things like that. And you can do who's on first. We don't do it in chapel. This isn't the venue for that. But a family dinner, that's a great place for it. Now, you, you want to know how serious I take chapel? First year I was here, we sang, Love Lifted Me. Have we sung it again? Why? Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else gave... I'm singing about the love of God that lifted me from hell to heaven. And you're going, love lifted me, love lifted me. You want to hijack my chapel? Not on my watch. Mm -mm. 
We haven't sung it again here. Not my fault. You want to make it all about you in chapel instead of all about him? We won't sing it again. That's how serious I take this chapel hour. Say, Brother Reem, are you mad? No, I'm just telling you. Amen, that's good preaching, Brother Reem. Thank you. <laughs> now look, look, I come into chapel not to get my circumstances changed around me, but to get me changed. That's why I come here. Now the Israelites' circumstances had soured them on God. It was a hard way. And their circumstances had turned them against God. And here they were walking by the Red Sea. So it's not like God had not given them recent evidence that He was going to take care of them. And I submit to you that everybody in this room has at least one miracle in your life that you've seen that you can't explain. One event in your life that you had to say, that was the Lord. And that was something that you knew had to be the Lord. There was no way you were supposed to get out of that. But you did. You should have lost everything in that fire. You should have lost you should have failed that course that you took. Rusty, where's Rusty? Where's Rusty? You should have died. You said it yourself. There's your miracle. Now, how can Rusty turn and doubt God someday when he's seen that? But folks, we're human. We're human. And they got discouraged because of the way. Because of the way. You didn't die, and I'm thankful for it. God brought you through it. And God brought a lot of you through a lot of things. And you've seen it. You saw the miracle. And God's worked such a way that you knew it was not a trick of yours or not some scam of yours or not some degree that you have or some kinfolk that got you out of it, but it was God that got you out of it. And you know that. And He'll give you a testimony because of it. And, get this, He'll leave it in plain sight for you to remember it. The Israelites were still by the Red Sea. And now they're murmuring and complaining about God. How can God be so good? We have a tendency, don't we, toward doubt. You might say we have a pathology of it. Now, it's one thing to doubt, you know, to, 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 to murmur about Pharaoh. It's one thing to murmur and complain about your life in Egypt because that was horrible. Pharaoh was a, a slave master. He was. And, and, and he was abusive, and he treated you like dirt. And he made you make bricks without straw. And he didn't feed you, and he didn't care for you, and he didn't love you, and he killed your babies. One thing to murmur and complain about him, but God? God? God heard them. God heard them cry out to him. And he came down there, and he delivered them from that bondage. But when you have a pathology of murmuring, when that's what you are, and a complainer, nothing's ever good enough. They said it right here. Well, the food service out here in the desert isn't very good. All we have is this light bread. Well, hey, you were slaves. You were slaves. I like hearing the stories of the early days here at Ambassador. Because it wasn't as good then as it is now. 
And I'll tell you, those people had to be pioneers. I'm reading a book Dr. Lucan gave me, uh, borrow, uh, let me borrow uh, out of his library about the early days of Maranatha Baptist University up in Wisconsin. I love those stories. I lived some of the early, well, not early days, middle days at Bob Jones. Okay? The earliest days of Bob Jones, I remember people telling me, if you've ever been down to a game there, a soccer game or something like that, those, those uh, athletic fields, they are absolutely pristine. They are tremendous. But that was a farm when it was purchased in 1947. And it was rocky, and the soil was all the horrible clay. It wouldn't grow any grass. So every day, at the beginning of physical education, the physical education class would walk across that field and pick up rocks, and they'd put them on a big trailer on the end of the field. Then they'd have their class. At the end of class, they would walk back through the field the other way, pick up rocks, and put it on the, end, uh, on the trailer on the other end. That's how those fields became pristine. And we hear stories here at Ambassador about living in the trailers over here, okay, and like 800 guys in one trailer and all the, all the things. And we, we know that's not true, but I mean, it, it, the, the point is made that, that things weren't as nice as what we have now. And I like hearing those stories, and I think we need to hear those stories, don't you? We need to know. We need to know what our God has done. You were slaves. Surely this is better than that. <laughs> yeah. What gives us amnesia? What gives us amnesia? Some people, it doesn't matter what you do for them. They are going to gripe and complain about it. You could put them in the Taj Mahal, and they'd go, well, you know, this big house, you know, it takes a long time for the hot water to get through the pipes to my shower. Little cabin where I used to live up in the hills, boy, you turn the faucet on, that hot water right there. Yeah. And here they are living in the Taj Mahal. And their little shack had holes in the floorboard and leaky roof, and they don't remember that. What gives us amnesia? Some people, they look past all the good and just find the little picky things. And corral members, don't you say one word about your conductor. (laughs) We're not talking about that. But you know what happens? You know what happens when you work hard for somebody, you work hard for an employer, and, and he doesn't see anything good that you do and always griping, complaining about you? What happens? Makes you angry, doesn't it? Makes you mad. Well, it made God angry. It made God angry. Now, God is not human. Did you ever think about how God feels when we treat him that way? Down here, people eventually just give up trying to please you. They can't please you. You do everything you can. And this isn't about God. Surely, it's it's so hard being in this wilderness. Oh, yeah, it's hard being in this wilderness, but you've worked for the last 400 years in the hot sun with with taskmasters snapping you with a whip. But when your M.O. is to complain, and, you know, you have to change that. You have to change that. I've learned one thing in this life, and if you want to write something down, write this one down, because I've learned this. You will never be victorious in your Christian life till you learn to be grateful for the goodness of God. You just won't. You just won't. It's only when you appreciate where you are that God takes you to the next level. I was telling a friend the other day, I don't really like talking sometimes about early struggles in the ministry. You know, the lack of material possessions because we work in a Christian college or we pastor a small church. I went through a little bout of depression 
in my 40s, and I had to get, I had to get my thinking straightened out because I, I realized at that time I'd worked all these years and I'd served God all these years, and I could put all my possessions into a medium-sized U-Haul truck and have a lot of room left over, and that bothered me. I had to get that straightened out. I had to get that right. My first car. I, I can I think of two cars that we owned that, that in, in, in almost 40 years of marriage, two cars that we got that were under 100,000 miles on them. First car was a 1964 Chevy 2, right before they made the Novas. And this, this, this car is 64 Chevy, and, 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 uh, and I drove it to over 300,000 miles. And it, had, it was like Fred Flintstone's vehicle, L- literally under my seat. And you could look down and you could see the ground because there was a hole about that big right there where my feet were. Had no heat, had no AC, uh, it had uh, roll-down windows. You don't know what those are. Uh, you've never seen one, uh, but they used to be there on cars. It did not need a key to start because the starter was broken and you could just go in and just go like that and you didn't have to have a key and you could start it and nobody ever stole it because who would want to and, uh, and, and so forth. My house where, where Mrs. Ream and I live in Taylor's right now, we make payments on that house and if the Lord tarries His coming, I will be almost Doc Scoville's age when it's paid off. Almost. I'll be 85. Now, I don't do a lot of talking about that. And the reason I don't do a lot of talking about that is because while I'm living those things and while I'm ministering in that environment, it doesn't look to me as bad as it sounds to you. Did you hear that? While we're living these things and while we're serving God and while we're ministering and while we're trying to win lost people to Christ, it doesn't look like what it sounds like. That's tweetable. And I speak as a fool because I don't have a Twitter account and I have never tweeted anything in my life, but that's tweetable. Actually, I... Those things don't look bad to me because I have always been very thankful that God would take a farm boy from Kansas and do anything with him. Anything. I didn't have a great music education background. When I got to college, I realized I was very, very far behind my peers. And I determined I was going to work very hard And by the grace of God, I did work very hard. But I was thankful. And one of the lessons that God is teaching me, even right now, is this. I need to be grateful to Him, even when things are not finished yet. The way is hard. I'm on the way right now. I'm not at the end of the way. The way is hard. The way has bumps and bruises. The way has more ups and downs than Julian's testimonies do. And, uh, and there's potholes that will swallow you up on the way. But God's not done yet. I've been teaching in my Sunday school class. Uh, my goal is to teach through Genesis uh, chapters 1 through 11. I think that's a laudable goal. I think it's going to take me about three years to do it or more. Because so far I'm up to verse 7 and it's been a month and a half. But may I read to you Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4? 
in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There was no vegetation yet. The earth was without form and void. There was darkness everywhere. Okay. God created a light source. The stars hadn't been placed yet. The cows hadn't started mooing yet. There were no cows. And God said it was good. How could God say it was good? Things were incomplete. But you know what? Even when things are not finished yet, God is good. And God does good things for us. Instead of murmuring and complaining about God, we praise Him for His care. So we need to get our eyes off of what is and start looking at what is becoming. That's a good one too. But that's number one point. That's number one thought. Number two thought is this. When the people spoke against God, they also spoke against Moses. And generally speaking, young people, when you get bitter against God for any reason, you will also not be in a right relationship with the authorities in your life. Now, I want to just park here a minute. It goes together. It goes together. If you're bitter against God, you're going to be bitter against God's man. Whether it's your pastor at home, your pastor here, your immediate authority on your job. I mean, there, there are many applications here. Almost every time you read in the Scripture that people murmured against God, they murmured against the man of God. And in this case, it was Moses. Look, if you're not happy here at ABC, if you're not happy, if you think the rules are too restrictive, you think the dress code is too narrow, you think the doctrinal emphasis here is too exclusive, you become upset that God has, has directed you here to this environment, you're probably also going to have a problem with DOS. I've seen it. I've seen it. In decade after decade of serving in Christian education, I've seen that. Why? Because they're, 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 they're connected the enemy is going to try to drive a wedge between you and the very people that God has placed to help you. And I've talked to a lot of parents over the years, and they wonder sometimes why their children don't follow the Lord, why their children won't even go to church today. And I'm sure there are many factors, but one of those factors has got to be the fact that every Sunday after church, they have roast preacher in their home for dinner. And they murmur and they complain about the pastor and the youth pastor and the, and the standards of the church. And now when their son's a crackhead and now when their daughter's pregnant and not married, who do they go to? They've undermined the very people that are placed by God in their lives to help them. It's always going to go together. They murmured against God and they murmured against Moses. And when God saw what they were doing, when God heard what they were doing, He got angry. Now the Scripture says you can be angry and sin not. And God didn't sin, but He was mad. He was upset. When you hear in the Scripture that the wrath of God was kindled, He was upset. And these people disrespected God. They disrespected God. You know, we live in a day of disrespect. We really do. We really do. There are people that God has brought into my life and so forth. I would never think of calling them by their first name. Because I honor them. 
I'll be very honest, Brother Spencer, I honor old people a lot more than I used to, too, because I'm now becoming one. I'd like to be honored myself, maybe in the old days. But all that means is, I'm respecting what I'm becoming. I'm respecting what I'm becoming. And there's disrespect today. And they angered God with their disrespect. I find it fascinating how soon sometimes after graduation that students feel comfortable calling me Dwayne. Now, I, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I, I'm not going to be a big, you know, you've got to always call me Mr. Ream. No, but I'm just saying, respect, folks. Respect, that's all I'm talking about. They respected God. They did, I mean, they disrespected God, and He sent serpents to bite them, and the Bible says that many died. Many people that had been delivered from Egypt died. Many people died, and you know what? Why they died? Because of what came out of their mouths. What they came out of their mouths. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The old southern preachers, they had more colloquial ways of saying things like that, like Sam Jones. And, and, and Bob Jones Sr., they had colloquial ways of saying it. And one of the ways they said it was, what's down in the wells coming up in the bucket. And all that is, is a colloquial way of saying that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And these mouths were speaking against God and against God's man. And it made God angry. It made Him angry. Now, I'd like this second point to sink in, because I'm going to tell you that probably, I could probably point to about 50% of any troubles that you've had in your little young lives at this point, and it's probably because something you said. Because <laughs> I can tell you story after story of things, troubles that I've gotten myself in, hot water that I've gotten myself into, because I wouldn't shut up. And sometimes I think we ought to just shut up. They died because what came out of their hearts through their mouths. May I submit to you that today we're killing our marriages because of our mouth? We're killing some of our churches because of our mouth? We lose jobs because of our mouth? We fall out with people who God has placed in our lives because of our mouth? God opens doors and we slam them shut because of something we say? It's our mouths. It's our mouths. And the children of Israel, many died. Many died. And some of them will die in their sins, just as these people did. It says many died. And I don't know what they did, uh, what they tried. I'm sure some of them tried a home remedy to fix these snake bites. Don't you figure that was probably done? You know, you take your pocket knife and you go to the, 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 the bite there and you slice it open a little bit more and you suck that poison out and you spit it out. That worked on other occasions, but it didn't work this time because these were God's snakes that he sent. Well, there's a, there's a, a kindly old lady over in the tribe of Benjamin and she's got, she knows all the herbs and maybe she'll make a poultice and they'll put that poultice on there. No, that didn't work. That didn't work. Many died. Many. Matthew's gospel says that many will say in those last days, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we done many wonderful works and not cast out devils? Many, it says. Many. He says, I never knew you. Many died, but hey, there was another group. 
There was another group. They'd gotten bitten. They'd swelled up. They were uncomfortable. They threw up. They ran high fevers. But they came to Moses and they said, Moses, we have sinned. We've sinned. But they weren't dead yet. I didn't give you the title for this message until right now. The title for this message is called Bitten But Not Buried. Because, folks, there's time to repent. There's time to repent. They came to Moses. They'd been bad-mouthing him. They said, we know we're in trouble. We spake against God and we spake against you. You know, we don't have that much anymore, do we? Repentance. Real repentance. We talk a lot about revival. This college was founded to, to train evangelists. We have opening revival in the fall. We have opening revival in the spring. All of our local churches in this area have weeks of revival campaign. But you know what? Historically, there's never been a revival until repentance, until the people's hearts were in a repentant attitude. Then God was pleased to revive them. And I don't care what high-powered evangelist you bring in, without repentance, there will not be revival. And we don't have that much anymore. There comes a time when you have to say, I was wrong. I was wrong. God, I beg you to forgive me. And you have to say it. And you have to say it. You have to speak it. Your mouth got you into trouble. Your mouth's going to get you out. You have to say it. God, I was wrong. Forgive me. What's happening in my life right now is a result of disrespecting you disrespecting your, your leadership in my life. Now, I'll tell you, I'll, and I'm just going to be very honest and very transparent in front of you today. God has never called me to serve as a senior pastor. I've served many, uh, several churches as assistant pastor, as music man, um, but never as a senior pastor. And it's for this reason right here, I know the reason. Because these people came to Moses and they'd been stabbing him in the back and they'd been back-talking him and trash-talking him and all the rest. And they said, pray for us. And he prayed for them. And I'm not there yet. I'm just being honest. If it were me, I'd say, send some more serpents. Bite them in the other foot. I'm serious. It's a, I've got, I'm, I'm still working on this. I'm still working on this. I could tell you some stories in the ministry where, where as, as, a, as an assistant pastor, something, I, I've been stabbed in the back. And, 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 and I could go there, and I'm not going to go there. But I tell you that if you're not careful in the ministry, you'll get bitter. And, you'll, and you won't pray for the people when they come and ask you to. And I know that that's why God has not moved me into that world at this point. And, I'm, and, I, and I tell you that I'm working on it. And now, God is ask, Moses is asking God to take these serpents away. Many died. But some repented. Some repented. And they were bitten, but they weren't buried yet. And they came to Moses. And God answered Moses' prayer. And he said to Moses, all right, make a serpent. Make one out of brass. Okay. In order to make the serpent out of brass, he had to beat it had to beat it and make it into the shape of the serpent. That's what Isaiah is talking about when he says that the Lord Jesus Christ was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities because that serpent was a type of Jesus Christ. And you know that very, very well. And the first time we ever read about a serpent, where do we read about him? 
Mm-hmm. In Genesis. Came to Eve. Caused Eve to doubt God. Caused Eve to doubt God's word. What were these people of Israel doing right now? They were doubting God to take care of them. Doubting the promises of God. Doubting the word of God. May I say that one of the reasons I came to this school when, when the opportunity was offered to me four years ago to come to this school was because of its position on the Word of God. May I just tell you that? And the, the, the Bibles that you have in your laps, I hope, young people, while you're here, you'll get an understanding of the importance of the doctrine of the preservation of the Word of God. I hope you'll get it. I hope you'll get it. May I, may I give you one... Uh, one uh, and I know my time is, is gone, but may I give you one case in point. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. All Bibles are not the same. We want to know that we have the Word of God, that we have the Word of God in its purity, in its inerrancy. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Be ye therefore followers of God. Now, if you pick up a New King James Version, it'll say imitators there. If you pick up an American Standard Version or the New Revised Standard Version or the ESV, it's going to use the word imitators. Now, you go there and you go get your, get your lexicons out. And I checked a few lexicons here. I checked uh, Kittle's Theological Dictionary and I checked Arnton Gingrich and I checked Liddell and Scott. And they all said you could translate followers as mimic or imitators. Well, why didn't we use one of those other words? Why did the men that translated our King James Bibles out of the received text, why did they say followers? Because they knew that Satan himself is the great imitator. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 14 and 15, he says, I will ascend above the clouds, the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. He's not going to be the Most High, but he's going to imitate him. He's not following him, is he? Uh-uh. What about this? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Are the demons ministers of righteousness? No, but they can imitate it. They're not following it. What about this? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. We're reading about the man of sin, the son of perdition, and it says, He as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's pretending. He's pretending to be God. So, okay, fine. The word could be translated imitate, but it wasn't. And you have it accurately in the Bibles that you're holding on your laps right now, young people. And if you don't get it straight about the text of the Scripture. Before you get out of here, you're going to be bombarded with all sorts of stuff and you won't know which end is up. They chose the word follower because the, follow, the word follower lined up with the whole of Scripture. Amen. You want to talk about lexicons? Let me tell you something. This King James Bible right here, this is a lexicon. This is a lexicon. If they translated that Greek word, you will say it, memeomai, something there, uh, if you translate that Greek word as followers, it's followers. Shoot me if you want to. Pull it off of YouTube. You know, it's followers. Now, now that's just that's just extra. We got to wrap this up and get to class. You've been bitten. You've been bitten. God has sent some judgment in your life. 
you've been bitten. And like the children of Israel, we've murmured, all of us, me included, we've murmured against our God. Sometimes we've murmured against our leadership. And we're experienced, we've been bitten, but hey, we're not buried. We're not buried. We can be like this second group. We don't have to die. We can be like this second group and we can come and say, Moses, we've sinned against God. We've sinned against you. Pray for us. We don't want these snakes anymore. And we can repent. We can ask God's forgiveness and we can rebuild our relationship with Him. And friends, we can do it today.